Welcome back to Radio Solo 100, powered by the Get Lost Podcast. Radio Solo 100 brings you inside Expedition Solo 100, groundbreaking test of human endurance combined with cutting-edge psychological and climate research. As polar explorer Mark Wood sets off alone into the Arctic. I'm your host, Joe Sills, a freelance journalist for outlets around the globe. And today we're going to talk with Mark himself about the topography of the Arctic. It's not all a flat landscape. Mark is here to tell us about the different terrain he has to traverse while he's out there. Hello, sir. Hello, Joe. How are you today, this fine day? Oh, it's a wonderful day here in sunny California. And I assume it's obviously sunny over there in the UK where you're at. Yeah, I, I live about six miles away from William Shakespeare's grave. Um, and I live in a little country village and the sun is shining. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a stra- it's a, an unusual day in Britain to have constant sunshine like this. Do you ever go and visit Shakespeare for inspiration? <laughs> Some people have likened my books to Shakespeare. No, they haven't. Um, <laughs> they absolutely have not. <laughs> <laughs> they have definitely not, no. It's, it's strange because I used to live in... Um, I was a firefighter a few years back and I lived in um, Windsor and uh, and that's a you know big a sort of um, touristic area now I live near Stratford-on-Avon so I just can't get away from these areas um, but I mean, yeah, uh, this is like about to pop areas of England that's true and this is uh, the funny funny thing is and we, we we haven't planned this Joe this is this is a good segue um, a friend of mine who's one of the sponsors who uh, farm food, he um, he said to me one day, he had a plane, like a plane that he shares with um, some of his colleagues. And he said, do you want to go out for a flight over your village and where you live? I was like, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. So when I flew over the top of the village and I took a photograph of the village and it's a very small, tightly knit village with one road going through it with countryside all the way around. It's a green and I thought, I've seen that picture before. And then I looked at my polar pictures of Resolute Bay, um, which is a small Inuit settlement along the Canadian, um, in the Canadian Arctic. And it's a small village with one road r- running through it, surrounded by snow and ice. And it was the same as my village, but just green. Mine was green, his was white. So um, I wonder what, see, it, what it is that I, you're I moved that to. straight into the Arctic again. You I moved did. the topography. You yeah, did. I'm good, aren't I? Almost in a Shakespearean way. <laughs> almost, yeah, almost. Um, that's really, yeah, it's a good segue because we're going to talk today about the terrain and topography of the Arctic. And um, I know you're not disclosing the route ahead of time, but you certainly know what obstacles lay ahead of you and you've traversed many of them before. Um, so just to paint the scene for the listeners, I want to give you the visual that Mark is really going out there alone. Um, yes, there's a documentary, but there's no like film crew tagging along. Like it's it's not a production. It's a real science expedition. Um, and he's carrying these sledges behind him that look to me sort of like little boats, if you will, um, with little round sledges. Uh, and it's just you. There's no dogs, nothing. It's all powered by you. Um, you have some skis and certainly there's flat areas, but there are a lot of obstacles. So tell listeners about the kind of things you expect to encounter out there that you have to carry these sledges over, under, up, around. 
What does it look like? Yeah, it, it, it's very key, really. I mean, I, I've done expeditions, high altitude exp- expeditions um, on Mount Everest, been Mount Everest and other areas as well. I work every year in the Himalayas. So you're talking you know, oxygen depleted areas. Um, and I've also been to the South Pole, which is 3,000 meters up which is not a lot of people know that you're actually heading into altitude when you reach the, the plateau of the South Pole. Yeah, right. But when you're working on in, in the Arctic, it's, you know, you're working literally at sea level. Um, but the, and there's a, you know, the, one of the questions sometimes that I've been asked is how difficult is Mount Everest, uh, the South Pole and the North Pole? Which one's the hardest? Mm-hmm. Well, I would say the South Pole is the easiest then you've got Everest, then you've got the North Pole. My reason for saying this is the South Pole is a slog. Every day against winds and uh, whiteouts, um, and you, there's crevasses there, but you can navigate around the crevasses, and it's just an ongoing slog every single day uh, pushing forward. Mm-hmm. There's no da- real dangers there. Of polar, well, there's no polar bears at all. Um, there's no animals around, so it's just a hard push. Mount Everest is a real test of the physicality of you, you know, your heart, your lungs, your keeping your heart level low, your focus, the trails are open, the trails are laid for you. So the expedition is laid out in front of you as a tourist, if you like, but Mm -hmm. still it's one of the most difficult expeditions I've ever done just to physically get myself to and above the clouds uh, into the death zone. But I would say that the North Pole is hands down the hardest. And if anybody sort of disagrees with that, just look at the stats. Look at the stats of people who have walked to the South Pole, climbed Everest, and then um, walked from land to the North Pole. Even I haven't walked from land to the North Pole, North Geographic Pole. But I have done expeditions to the magnetic, geomagnetic, uh, geographic from uh, last degrees, last two degrees, I've led expeditions along the Northwest Passage from linking settlements together. I've done science-based expeditions around the areas and training expeditions. So I've built up a lot of, over the years, a lot of, um, uh, what you say, um, skills, sets, if you like, experience, sorry. Experience. Experience. yeah. Yeah, experience. That's the word I was going for. And what the train you're kind of looking at, you start to understand when you need to, um, when you need to just move through the moment. As in, you've got flat ice; the train looks very flat in front of you. Mm-hmm. What you've got to do is slow your heart rate down, get to a gentle pace, don't sweat too much, pull your sledge, put your mind somewhere else. As in, on a beach or with your family or where it might be to switch off from the situation a little bit um, and then keep pushing forward. And then there's other times when you're crossing ice rubble, which has been created by the movement of the ocean underneath, churning the, the ice up. So it's almost like bricks and bricks on top of each other or boulders. And these can be knee height to waist height to um to about six, eight meters high. So you, you know? do you climb those or scramble over them? I mean, how do you get around that? Well, the best, if you're navigating and you're at the front or as with me, I'm always at the front um, as a solo um, explorer. 
when you're going along, all you see is the white terrain in front of you. So you're reading the ground as you're going along. You've worked out your direction of travel. You've done your waypoints. So you know what direction of travel you're going in. Um, and you're reading the ice. And with experience, you get to see even little nooks in the ice, little shadows that draw you to that area that you think is going to be an open space to bypass these ice rubble areas. Mm-hmm. Uh, you might, if if you were, oh, if you were, uh, sorry, it's just my iPods are running out. <laughs> if you were, um, if if you had the luxury of of going above the ice, then you'd be able to, you know, if you if you could take a drone with you, which mm-hmm. isn't possible because the batteries run dry then you'd be able to see the topography of the ice in front of you. But it's almost like hit and miss with a little bit of back experience in there where you move, you've got to move to an area which is not too off your course of your waypoint. When you get to that point, you can then move on to a different area. So it's almost like pathfinding as you're going along very, very slowly. Dot to dot to dot. Exactly. And, And what you're trying to do is avoid the big high pressure ridges. You know, because you don't want to spend time in there. Once you get in the ice rubble areas, you're forever in there. But, you know, it might only be a mile long, but you'll be all day in that stuff. So sometimes it's best to just navigate around it and take the hit. That makes sense. It's a shame you can't bring a drone um, because that would help so much just to pop up a few hundred feet and get that bird's eye view. Um, and then you you really have it mapped out for you. Pretty plain and simple. Yeah, it's true. And, I, you know, um, what I've done on this one, I've worked with Warwick University um, and I, we've had conversations like this and, um, you know, it's 100 days, so it's you can't really do it. If anybody's doing a shorter day or they have a luxury of snowmobiles, yeah, drones are great. Mm-hmm. And we will be using drones for the film crews front and back of the expedition, but not during the course of it. So what I've done is come up with an ingenious plan Um a ski stick is just over a meter long. You put those two together, you've got two meters. Yeah. The length of your arm is like half a meter. Um, and if I, I've got, they've designed this little simple attachment that I put on the end of my ski stick and put a camera on there. I'd stick my, my hand in the air. I'm doing it at the moment, as I'm telling you. And the <laughs> ski stick is like, you know, three meters above you and you move it around and you bring it back down again and you can look at your camera. If, if it's a situation, and you can also stand on ice as well. So you can, you know, if it's a, if it's a massive ice field and you think, right, how am I going to get around this? You can actually take your skis off, take the time to stand up on the ice, have a good look around. If you've got binoculars, use those. And then just to get a real plan out a route in your head, that's what you're doing. You're sort of mapping the route out in your head. I'm going to go there. Then I'm going to move left. Then I'm going to go right. You know, and you've got that in your head, but it's um, it's it's super interesting. It's something I love doing, but it's something that you don't want to do because you just want flat ice. You just want flat yeah. ice. Are you, and you're using a compass as well to like sort of, I mean, you know precisely where you're going. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I mean, navigation is I, I feel is really interesting out there. There's um, so in the morning you'll take a GPS out and you'll you'll locate you'll verify the position that you located the night before, but you'll get your direction of travel. Once you've got your direction of travel, you can then revert to a compass 
and get a bearing from your compass. And then you can uh, visually get a, if you've got something to visually look at from the bearing, then you can just focus on that. Um, if the sun is out, then the shadow will cast uh, um, to one either side of you. And then if you keep that shadow at that position for that hour, then you know you're going in the right direction. That makes sense. It does make sense. Um, so aside from the the ice rubble fields and thin ice, obviously the the pressure ridges. Um, what explain a, a pressure ridge and how c- common are those? Uh, they're more common when you head out onto the Arctic Ocean itself. It's uh, it's where the ocean is is churned the ice to a degree where it's just pressured together. The ice is pressured together and pushed up. Um, creating almost like a wall straight across in front of you. So mm-hmm. you've got this six-foot wall in front of you that you've got to lug your sledges across. And I think I said in previous podcasts that I carry two, I pull two sledges rather than one. So I can then, if I have to get over that wall, um, I will do. But really the whole idea about navigation and um, leading teams or whatever it might be or direction travel is that you choose the the easiest route. It might not always be the quickest route, but it's the easiest route for you to do. Sometimes you've just got to get into the the mouth of it and get on with it, but you try to avoid that. Um, Try to not get in a hurry as well. It sounds like you have to really pace yourself and be analytical about the energy you spend. I mean, Guinness World Records asked me how many miles I'll be doing a day. And I said, look, I would love to do 15 nautical miles a day. However, I might be doing one mile in one day, six miles the next day, 28 in another day. It's unpredictable. It's about making sure that you're not exerting yourself. You're not in a hundred meters race. You're sustaining your body, your mind, your equipment. You're not breaking it for 100 days. So you're living in it, but you're progressing. It's positive progression with safety in mind. Um, I, I talked about the, using uh, the compass for direction and then the shadows. On one occasion when I was in Antarctica, um, I was having so many whiteouts that I couldn't use the compass because I couldn't get a bearing. Um, So the wind was blowing, so I tied a little bit of ribbon. A friend had given me a yellow ribbon to come home safely, Mm. and I tied it to my ski stick, and it blew uh, from left to right. And... I then got the bearing and it was blown from left to right. And I walked on the direction of that ribbon for an hour. And then I stopped and rechecked my position and carried on. Uh, If the ribbon was blowing towards me or right to left, then I knew I was moving in the wrong direction. So in that instance, I navigated off the wind. And the the final thing I sort of say about it is I was taught this by an Inuit hunter on the Top Gear program that I worked on. Um, and he taught me how to navigate off the snow. Hmm. Um, so when you go to the beach um, and you see the ripples of the, the sand, it's made by the wind. It's yeah. it's sort of little channels. Of, it's the same with the Arctic. You get sort of ridges, which are called sastrugi. Um, and they are all in one direction. So the wind will blow in one direction. And once uh, your skis are laid across the top of that and you've taken a bearing – it gives you an angle between the Sastrugi and skis. And if you keep that angle for that hour, you know you're going in the wrong direction. As soon as you slip into the Sastrugi or get a different angle, you're going in the wrong, the, 
in the wrong direction. Does that make sense? That's genius, though. Yeah. So, so if you guys can visualize like waves of snow, little little waves, like you would on the beach, it's very similar. Um, yeah. So you just lay your skis across that at a specific angle, and if you deviate from that, you've altered your course because you know that the wind laid these out over X number of miles. Yeah, that's right. Cool. Okay. Well, Mark, as we, we kind of wind down here, um, I think we want to get into the weather and, and stuff eventually, but for now, it's nice to know that there's more out there in the Arctic than just flat ice. It's actually like a maze that you have to navigate. And I think you've come up with some very creative ways uh, to do that. Yeah, I mean, just to, to, to finalize that, it's it all sounds very complicated, but when you're out there, your senses are aligned with the environment with what you're doing, so it becomes natural after a while. It's very interesting to talk about in normal circumstances like this, but it's very natural when you head out there. And yeah. it's something that I really love. I love talking about it, and I love doing it as well. Makes sense to me, Mark. Uh, visit us at expeditionsolo100.com to learn more.